0: Numbers chapter 15 talks about the toxic anointing that characterizes spiritual infancy. Numbers chapter 15, and this is what it says from verses 27 to verse 31. It says, But if just one person sins unintentionally, which means ignorantly, with ignorance, but if just one person sins unintentionally, he must bring a year old female god for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made for him, he will be forgiven. Verse 29 of Numbers 15. He says, one and the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally, whether he is a native-born Israelite or an alien. He goes on verse 30 to say, but anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or alien, blasphemes the Lord. Do you see that somebody, anyone who sins intentionally, he blasphemes the Lord, and that person must be cut off from his people because he despises the Lord's word and he has broken his commands. That person must surely be cut off. His guilt remains on him. So this is very critical, this is the top now, the peak of the definition that is attached to the five foolish virgins. This is what the Lord was speaking to the church. The Lord was saying, we cannot have the knowledge of the truth, and we know that the knowledge of the truth implies receiving Christ to make him as Lord. We cannot have the knowledge of the truth and then continue intentionally into sin. This is a very key scripture, even as one talks about the identity of the five foolish virgins. And that's why I said, I'm going to speak with you to greater depth about the marker, the identity marker that was worn by the five foolish virgins. So you may be able to do everything you can to avoid that marker. And in so doing, you'll enter the kingdom of God. Once you know that which did not bring them in, then you can now do that which brought the others into the kingdom of God. I want to bring us to another level and speak about something very, very important. The other people that were rejecting the new covenant, those are the Jews. We know very well that the new covenant came through the blood of Jesus. The new covenant came through Christ. And yet the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even the rest of the Hebrew people, most of them, rejected Christ. But now, do they also fall within the definition of the five foolish virgins? How about the church? Is there anything the Lord was speaking to the general church about this rejection? I think there is a message here the church can pick also out of the way the Lord was describing the five foolish virgins. In fact, essentially, the Lord is directing this message to the church that she may be able to know that he is very prophetic in everything he said, and this is yet to come. That is the day of the rapture. Now, I want to feature one area here. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 44, the Lord speaks very clearly about Jerusalem. And I'm reading Ezekiel 44, hallelujah. In that conversation with Jerusalem and Israel is hidden the prophecy and the message to the church, which is very much related and tied into the identity of the five foolish virgins and the rapture. Ezekiel 44 verse 1. Then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, This gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, Has entered through it. The prince himself is the one who may sit inside the gateway to eat in the presence of the Lord. We can even stop there. Now, why was the eastern gate of Jerusalem shut? If you go back to the book of Mark chapter 11, then you'll understand why the Lord shut that gate. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. He speaks very, very clearly about. Why this gate is shut. Verse 1 to 11. He says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, undefiled. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him. The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. Then they went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered just as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many spread their clocks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the field. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around At everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Now, this actually was the rejection of Christ. This was the exact image of how Jerusalem and the temple rejected Christ. You can be sure that inside the temple there were Pharisees and the Sadducees and many of the Hebrew community, the Jewish people, the Israelites. They were praying inside. And they must have been asking, Father, Father, send us the Messiah. They must have been asking the Father in heaven to send them the Messiah. But right outside here was the Messiah on a cult, walking around. He checked everything and he went to symbolize the rejection that the temple of the Lord and Jerusalem would have over him. Now, that is the peak of which you see now. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 44, verses 1 to 3, when finally the eastern gate remains shut and there is a command coming from the Lord God our Father in heaven that this gate must be shut. This gate must remain shut. It's amazing to me that even during the 1967 war, it is said that some of the Israeli commandos wanted to attack the invasion, the invading forces that attacked Jerusalem and captured The best route to attack the Jordanian army was, I am told, through the Eastern Gate. If they stormed the Eastern Gate, it would have been easier to surprise that army and to take back Jerusalem. In 1967, the war that finally captured Jerusalem. You see that? The eastern part of Jerusalem. Now look at this somebody. It is said that one of the Israeli commandos, the commanders, he went out and he said, No. We cannot storm through the eastern gate, however difficult the other routes may be, because this gate is to remain closed. Only the Messiah can open this gate. Now, that is what you see in Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 1 to 3, when the Lord God commanded that gate to be closed. And so, when that gate is closed, what do you see? That is the same gate that faces the Mount of Olives. But we all know, that the temple of the Lord is inside Jerusalem, inside that gate, inside Jerusalem, and then you have the gate, which gate is facing the Mount of Olives. And again, when one is entering Jerusalem, you find that if you enter through the eastern gate, you go straight into the temple doors. That is the only gate that takes you straight to the temple courts. You go straight to the temple doors, which means the temple courts were also facing the eastern gate. And yet the eastern gate is closed Facing the Mount of Olives. Now look at this. The Mount of Olives is a rock that has a lot of olive trees growing on it. And yet we now know that olive, the olive tree, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. No wonder every single moment when Jesus was walking the earth, every moment he had the smallest time of prayer, he always retreated back to the Mount of Olives, and he had a quiet time with the Father. Hallelujah. So the Mount of Olives was very symbolic of a very intimate place where there would be visitation, where there is prayer, where there is presence of the Lord. Now look at this. When Jesus resurrected, he still came with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and that is the point at which he spoke to them about going back to the upper room in Jerusalem, and there would be a mighty visitation. And he said, don't attempt to leave Jerusalem until the power has come from on high and empowered you so you may be my witnesses into Judea, into Samaria, and the ends of the world. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The visitation of the Holy Spirit. He spoke it to them on the Mount of Olives. Number two, that is the point at which heaven opened and Jesus was raptured in the clouds. You see that? The gate was opened right over that mountain. Now, if you read your Bible in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 21, about the second coming of the Lord, that is the same point at which heaven will open and his feet will step on the Mount of Olives. On the 31st, I remember very well, July 2006, in the process of writing the Rocky magazine, the Lord took me in the spirit and he took me at night on the Mount of Olives facing the Eastern Gate and I saw the heaven open over the mountain. And the eastern gate opened, and the glory of the Lord came as a cloud and filled it, entered and filled the temple of the Lord. Now, that is the same vision he showed Ezekiel, the prophet of the Lord. What does that tell you now? That the Mount of Olives remains on this side, with the eastern gate closed facing the Mount of Olives, and the temple of the Lord is inside in Jerusalem there, also closed and facing the closed gate of the Mount of Olives, what does that tell you about this conversation the Lord is having with the church about the foolish virgins, the five foolish virgins who did not enter? Listen to me very carefully here. When the Lord ordered the closure of the eastern gate, which faces the Mount of Olives, he was speaking a prophecy to the church. Because we have seen in the book of Mark chapter 11, that when it was time for a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jerusalem rejected Jesus. Jerusalem rejected Him. Hallelujah. And so, when Jerusalem rejected Him, the eastern gate was commanded closed. It's called beautiful, or the golden gate. Closed, facing the Mount of Olives, from where the gates of heaven opened, and Jesus was raptured. From where the gates of heaven will open, and the second coming will take place, where the glory will visit the temple again. That was a message that the Lord God in heaven was speaking through the Holy Spirit unto the latter church of Christ. He said, there will be a time for your latter visitation. The first rain has taken place during Pentecost, but there will be a time for the latter rain that is prophesied in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, also in the book of Haggai chapter 2, verses 9 on, when he said, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. And he said, it would be so important for you at that time, it will be so important and critical, that you are able to recognize your hour of visitation. Hallelujah. And it was eventually, and it still remains to date, A spiritual monument when the Eastern Gate is closed facing the Mount of Olives. It remains a prophecy and a spiritual monument unto the Latter Church of Christ, unto this end time church. It remains a monument that says, listen, if you fail to recognize your hour of visitation when the Holy Spirit has visited you to prepare you for the rapture, then the gates of heaven will be closed unto thee. You see that? The gates of heaven will be closed unto you. And that's why you see that the foolish virgins, when the Lord was speaking about them to the church today, he meant that if you be like them with minimal knowledge that I am the Lord, I am Christ, the Son of the living God, only through me can you inherit the new covenant. And yet, You are not able to embrace. You remain in the level of theology, the level of the teachers of the law, the level of the Pharisees, the level of the Sadducees, the level of human knowledge, the level of the teachings of schools or prophecies that you see in the world today. If you remain at that level of reasoning using your mind, you will miss your moment of visitation, and you will not grow in the spirit, and you will not be able to see the rapture of the church. Isn't that absolutely amazing that the Lord even spoke to the church through this? That's the same thing you see in the book of Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. And this is what he says here, precious people. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her cheeks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. When the Lord was speaking the parable of the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins and the rapture of the church, the wedding of the Lamb of God, It remained as a warning to the church. The final message that you get from there is he warned the church to prepare. That's important you prepare in the Holy Spirit by receiving your hour of visitation. So you may be able to be infilled, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So you may be able to avail yourself as a vessel that is constantly infilled. So you may grow to full stature, even reach the spotlessness of the bride of Christ, so you may enter into the kingdom of God, the rapture. But he said, if you operate in minimal anointing of the schools of theology, the minimal anointing of human wisdom, of using human reasoning to understand the word of God, to incorporate the modern Christianity, to incorporate the world into your Christian walk, like the five foolish virgins did, now this is what will happen to you. You will remain desolate. Desolation will hit you like it hit the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Eastern gate is closed facing the gates of heaven. That means you will be like the foolish virgins. You will not enter the rapture and you will enter straight into the abomination of the desolation, which is the tribulation. And that happens after the rapture. So that is the message that the Lord is speaking to the church, that she may get into the preparing mode and prepare herself, because he will fulfill every letter of the word spoken here. Isn't that something mighty to the church? But I want us to go to another level now. Let us move to the higher level now. Let us look at the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 9, and Matthew, chapter 25. What is the link between these two? Hallelujah. To begin with, I want us to read from Ephesians, chapter 5. We are now getting deeper and deeper into this parable that Christ Jesus was speaking to the church about the wedding of the Lamb of God. And we know that that is the most important day in the calendar of all events in heaven and in the church. That's why he kept emphasizing about this. No wonder in the book of Matthew chapter 22, he still talks about this wedding here where he's emphasizing the need to prepare as you're wearing the gown. Listen to this, somebody. There is revelation here. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, let us read verses 30 to 32, even as we link up Revelation 19 and the parable of the five foolish virgins. Let us look at Ephesians, somebody. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 30 to 32. Look at what he says here. He says, for we are members of His body. Hallelujah. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Do you see that, somebody? Verse thirty-two. He says, "This is a profound mystery." But I am talking about Christ and the church. Hallelujah. He says a mystery, but by the way, get this clearly. I'm not talking about the physical marriages you have here. I am talking about Christ and the church, which is the rapture. Listen to this, somebody. Verse 33 says, However, each one of you also must love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. So why have I brought this in here at this new level that I'm bringing you in? Listen to me very carefully. It's very critical. The Lord here is drawing attention to one thing. He is introducing the concept and the aspect of separation. He is saying one would separate from her mother and her father to unite with the husband, just like the husband separates from his mother and father, so the two become one flesh. Essentially, that's what the Lord implied in the book of Genesis Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 to 23. He said, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. You see that? And now he has introduced in an aspect of separation. You see very clearly, he says, if anyone wants to be the bride of Christ, then they must essentially and practically separate from the flesh. Hallelujah. The flesh is the miniature is the small version of the world that lives in us, and to the greater magnitude, must separate from the general world. Do you see that, somebody? So now he's saying that this wedding of the Lamb of God is essentially tied to one single practice called separation. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing, somebody? And this separation that the Lord is emphasizing here is saying... The church, that is you, that have stepped out, must separate from the world. So you begin to see very clearly that which the five wise virgins did, which the five foolish virgins did not. So separation became a key issue here. That means the five wise virgins were able to separate. Hallelujah. While the five foolish virgins We are not able to separate. But what is it about the life and the identity of the five wise virgins that allowed them to separate? And you see very clearly that the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They had oil. Now we are moving to the role of the oil. Now we are moving to the transformation that they were supposed to go through as they stepped out with their lamps into the darkness. So there was a growth process. So the Lord is talking about the growth that the church needs to go through as she separates. And he says, you cannot accomplish separation, both spiritual separation and physical separation, until you receive external force, external support. That is the anointing, the added anointing of the Holy Spirit. And let's move in the next level, somebody. Somebody. And you see very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. I'm still reading all the same book of Ephesians, verses 18 to 20. He talks about the same thing still. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart unto the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now he is bringing in another factor. He says, Separation is critical, which is a main distinguishing factor between the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. And you see that. He says, for you to be able to unite with him, to be flesh of his flesh, born of his bones, which means to wed him, you must have separated from your mother, from your father, from the world, and now lived to unite with him, love him, and live for him. You see that? And he brings it to another level. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 on, he says, but You must be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. And now when you are filled with the Spirit of the Lord, then you are able to operate in the Word of the Lord, speaking in Psalms, in hymns, and praising the Lord, which means living the Word. Hallelujah. And that tells you very clearly that the separation that the five wise virgins attained was through the empowering power of, and authority of the added anointing of the Holy Spirit that allowed them to separate even further as they were growing and maturing in the things of the Spirit, even in the likeness of Christ, the only thing that would have allowed them even to wed Christ, to be in the likeness of Christ. You see that? And that separation now, he brings it to another level, and he says, was only achieved by the Holy Spirit. But then in the book of Ephesians 5, verses 18 on, he is telling you that there must be a willingness of you as the church to avail yourself as a vessel to be infilled and filled and filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are filled and filled and filled as an available vessel, then now you are not filled with the drunkenness of the wine, the evil, but with the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. And then now you are able to walk spiritually to do the things of the Word of the Lord, the things of the Lord. And when you are filled and filled and in filled more and more with the Holy Spirit as you grow, then you are able to emit the right light. That is the light now that will be able to yield fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you understand this, somebody? That is now... The true quality of the light of Christ, of the life of Christ that is resident, that is present in the salvation of our Lord that came through Christ Jesus. And that's the only way that the dying world, the lost souls, that the evil world, the world that is in darkness can be able to see you and see the image of Christ because they see the fruit of the spirit because you have been infilled. Because you have made yourself available, and the Spirit has filled you, yielding the fruit of the Spirit, emitting the light that comes from Christ, and then they can receive Christ in the end-time church. Do you understand now what it is that the five foolish virgins did not do, which the five wise virgins did? And I told you from the beginning of these segments, that if you will be able to understand what it is that the five foolish virgins did, you can avoid it and then be able to do what the wise virgins did and enter the rapture. So it boils down to the fact that the five wise virgins were able to avail themselves as vessels that were infilled by the Holy Spirit. No wonder, he says, they carried the jar of oil. While the five foolish virgins Much as they separated out, much as they denied themselves the things of the world by separating out, they denied themselves the fellowshipping in the general churches, the things, the pleasures of the earth, they still failed to enter. Because the Lord said, they did not avail themselves for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now let me bring it to another level. So you see very well that the oil is the Holy Spirit. And then you see that when you are infilled with the Holy Spirit, you definitely lose the love for the things of the world. That is the separation that is emphasizing that can come through the one and only authority, that is the Holy Spirit, taking authority over you as the church, the redefined remnant perfect bride of Christ, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit, tomo to vida in Spanish, take over, consume your life, and then cause you to separate. Why? Because part of the process of separation is very bitter. It's a very bitter process. I can see very clearly when Christ Jesus was separating from the world on the cross, the time at which he finally asked for that drink of water he was thirsty on the cross, it was one of the most bitter times, bitter moments of his life, and then his spirit cut and he went down and redeemed the church. You see that? On it resurrect. So separation is a very bitter process. Therefore, you need the complete and overwhelming influence of the Holy Spirit, which influence cannot come from the basic initial anointing that everybody is endured with. That authority that comes from the influence of the Holy Spirit comes out of an added anointing of the Holy Spirit as you walk in the dark with that kind of light towards the rapture of the church. Let's bring it to another level, precious people. So we see very clearly here that only the wise virgins are able to experience the separation which comes out of complete love of Christ, which means Christ becomes a premium into their lives. Hallelujah. And number two, which means they rearrange their value systems. They begin to give a premium to the love of Christ, and they devalue all the things of the world. Hallelujah. So they change their value systems. While the foolish virgins did not change their value systems. They claimed to love Christ while they still continue to be entangled in the things of the world. Much as they separated, by the way, they stepped out of the general church. They were now aware Christ is coming. They were preparing, denying themselves, beating their flesh here and there, but they continued in the sin of the flesh. Hallelujah. Now, let us bring this separation to the next level, to the part when he says, come out of them. The book of 2 Corinthians, somebody, chapter 6, verses 14 to 18, still talks about that same separation which the five wise virgins were able to accomplish, and yet the foolish virgins could not. 2 Corinthians, somebody, I'm reading chapter 6, verses 14 to verse 18. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Hallelujah. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What argument is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as he said, I will live with them and walk among them and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Verse 17 of Second Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Therefore, come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll receive you. I'll be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So do you see the importance of the separation the Lord was talking about here? I know this has been used severally by the church towards physical marriage in the world. When people want to get married, they read this scripture here. Just like Paul mentioned it very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, I am not talking about the marriage in the flesh, the marriage in the physical. I am talking about the spiritual marriage, the marriage between Christ and the perfect bride of Christ. You see that? Same thing applies here. He says, separate and come out of them. Come out of them and be separate. This is climaxing and re-emphasizing the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit in separating out the remnant bride of Christ, a process that was essentially lacking among the five foolish virgins. Again, this is re-emphasizing and re-articulating the importance of the authority of the Holy Spirit in separating out the remnant bride of Christ from the world, a process that essentially was lacking among the five foolish virgins, and yet a process that was very outstanding, a landmark, the process that characterized the identity of the five wise virgins. One of the main things is that they separated out for the sake of Christ. Hallelujah. And this separation could only be accomplished by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so you begin to understand That when the Lord spoke this parable of the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins, he touched the very dead center of the church. He touched the dead center of the throne room of God. He touched the heart of the wedding of the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. And let's move on somebody to another level on this separation. Again, I've mentioned clearly that this separation is from the world as is emphasized In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 to 18, let's bring it to another level. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, verse 2 still talks about the importance of this separation here. He says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. You see what I'm talking about here? He's saying, during the separation, you cannot even continue being conformed to the things of the world anymore. Because that is what separation is all about. To move out of the conformations of the world a very important character, a very important practice that was lacking among the five foolish virgins. They mix their work They mix their waiting with the things of the world. And yet here he says, you cannot even be conformed any longer to the things of the world. But let me bring it to another level. Look at what he says. He says, in other words, you should be infilled by the Holy Spirit and be transformed by constantly renewing your mind. Which means, as they stepped out, there was a spiritual growth process. Hallelujah. The constant transformation through the renewing of their minds, the reallocating of the value systems in their lives, beginning to reshuffle, to throw out the values of the world that they came with, the values of the churches of the world they came with, and beginning to reprioritize, rechampion Jesus as premium, as precious, as outstanding, as the one and only champion of their hearts, as the one and only priority of their lives. Hallelujah. And so in this scripture here, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it is very clear that as they stepped out, there was supposed to be a transforming growth, a constant renewal, which renewal would only come through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So you see that when the end time arrives, when the critical moment arrives, the peak season, the midnight hour arrives, it was so important that the virgins would have to be transformed completely. In fact, that transformation is what graduates them to become immortal, by the way. Because now when the rapture takes place, they have won the immortality. They have won the imperishability that you hear of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50-56. to 56. The imperishability and the immortality that the bride of Christ wears to qualify her to be in the glorious body that Christ himself wears so she can unite with him. Hallelujah. And you see that that comes out of that critical transforming power of the infilling of the added Holy Spirit. The added vest of the Holy Spirit, the jar, that they carried and brought with them which the foolish virgins did not. Because all of them woke up, trimmed their lamps. Hallelujah. And then The wise virgins, after seeing that the lamps were going off, they were able now to add the new oil, the external source, the external oil, because now the basal level, the initial anointing of just saying Jesus is Lord, even Jeremiah says it was common for them to say, for as long as my Lord lives, for as long as my Lord lives, everybody could say that. But then there was need for an age when it comes now to that critical midnight hour. And this is what gives the age, the added anointing from external source, from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that added source was able to transform them so they can go into the spiritual realm, so they can completely delete, disconnect from the values of the earth, the values of the world, so they can go into the spiritual realm, be a glorious bride of Christ. Hallelujah. So this is exactly what the bride of Christ looks like while The five foolish virgins were not able even to wear this character. But let me bring it to another level. When he said five foolish virgins and five wise virgins, the five wise virgins were able to enter. What did he mean? Look at this somebody. These that step out, the ten virgins, they represent the section of the Pentecostal church that is preaching holiness. Hallelujah. Listen to me very carefully. And A remnant out of there steps out into the streets, steps out into the dark world. No wonder in Matthew 22, he says he sent his servants to invite those for whom the wedding was prepared, the banquet was prepared, but they failed to come. They went about doing their daily businesses. Hallelujah. One to their business, one to his field. And they did not pay attention to the messenger, the servants, the prophet of the Lord, that was sounding the warning that, look, the fattened cattle have been butchered, and the wedding dinner is now ready, which is the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. Yet another parable Jesus gave about the rapture. And so you find that he said, they did not pay attention, the church, and so the Lord had to send his servants to the streets. Hallelujah. No wonder you see now that even in Matthew 25, it is these few remnants that stepped out of the church, stepped out in the streets, in the darkness, begin to evangelize the darkness, begin to show the light of Christ in the darkness, not belonging to a club membership in the churches of today. It is these ones here that the Lord was addressing. He says it is those ones that step out in the streets, only five out of the ten, which means 50% will enter. So you begin to understand how small the number is. It becomes the remnant of the remnant of the remnant. No wonder the Bible says every word written in this book, the Bible, will be fulfilled with the letter. The new heaven will come, the new earth will come and go, but this word will not change. Because this word tells us very clearly that like it was during the time of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And what do we see during the time of Noah It was really a remnant of a remnant that went, that was saved. Hallelujah. And then another thing about the wise virgins, what is it about them that allowed them to enter? They fulfilled the book of Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 to 8, because verse 8 talks about fine linen, bright and clean. That's the wedding gown they were able to put on. Hallelujah. They fulfilled that, which means they were sensitive that perilous times were coming. So they carried some midnight oil so they would be able to burn during the midnight hour when the storms would become so strong, when the enemy would be roaming around like a lion looking for whom to devour, when the lamps would be extinguished by the big storms, the winds. Hallelujah. They carried additional source, additional source which is the oil, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They made themselves available as vessels for infilling which infilling was able to empower them at the most critical time? But how did they do so? By preparing the vessel. By wearing the wedding gown. So the latter glory could infill them. Hallelujah. And look at this somebody. Also in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26. Let's read that and see. Verses 26 to verse 27. Only two verses. He talks about that mighty power of preparing. Let's begin from verse 25. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hallelujah. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Hallelujah. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. And he says, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so you begin to see the identity that the five wise virgins were able to wear which the five foolish virgins did not wear. These ones became radiant having been washed by water which is the holy spirit is talking about here. The holy spirit they carried the extra anointing now that is washing them that made them holy which means the five foolish virgins were not holy, hallelujah, not washed. No Holy Spirit washed them. They didn't complete the process of washing. No wonder they remained infant forever, mixing the flesh into their Christian walk. But here you see that the water, which is the Holy Spirit, the vessel of oil that they carried, the Holy Spirit, was able to wash them through the water and the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. They became radiant, hallelujah, to him without stain, which means they were washed, the Holy Spirit can wash pure, no single stain, no wrinkle, no blemish, and remaining holy and also blameless, which means there was no right. The devil could not claim any right, whether legal right, historic right, any right over them because they were washed with no blame. So you can see very clearly that when Jesus was talking to this church, to you that are listening, to this mighty parable of the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. He spoke a very deep conversation about the rapture. And he said, Make yourselves available as a vessel for the infilling by the Holy Spirit, so you may be washed to be radiant, perfect, mature, blameless, blemishless, without a wrinkle or stain, so you may be presented unto him on the day of the wedding. You can imagine how much a mother prepares a daughter to present her at the wedding hall to the men. That is in the physical level of the earth. How much more does the Holy Spirit who has been sent to prepare the church, hallelujah, how much more does he prepare the church as a radiant, spotless, blemishless, wrinkleless, stainless, even blameless, so he may present her during the wedding of the Lamb of God. Now I want to bring you to the next level. Now let's talk about the oil in the book of Matthew 25. Again, still looking at the mighty parable when the Lord spoke about the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. And he said the difference between the wise virgins that enter into the wedding of the Lamb of God and the foolish virgins is the oil, the jar of oil that the wise virgins took while the foolish versions did not. Now, we know that the oil here symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And so it's very, very important to understand the Holy Spirit will bring anointing, a multifaceted anointing into the church. And this is what the Lord was speaking to the church. So there is the oil of gladness, the oil of the anointing or the presence of God. And it's very, very critical that the church operate under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, even as she waits for the rapture. We've seen very clearly that only the Holy Spirit, through his infilling of the church, can he clean the church to be as radiant and pure, blameless, holy, presentable unto the Lord. And remember that in this wedding here, we're not wedding to the son of an earthly king. You can imagine how much is always arranged when the son of a king is wedding, how many Mercedes Benzes, private jets, invited presidents of companies, of nations, and it's always a very big thing. Everything almost comes to a stop in those countries. But I'm talking about that being like a drop into an ocean. If you consider the wedding to which the church has been aligned, the church is wedding to Christ the Messiah. The church is wedding to Christ the Son of the living God, the creator of all the galaxies, the creator of the universe including the earth the one that created all the wealth of the universe some of which have never been discovered will never ever be discovered the creator of all wisdom the glorious king and he's talking about presenting a glorious bride to his son and you see very clearly that the holy spirit has been mandated with this role of preparing the bride of christ so surely that oil that the wise virgins took was very symbolic of the necessity of the church to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit so she can enter. It's amazing to me that that oil again is an external source. If you look very carefully you see that all the lamps were lit and yet the five wise virgins took a jar of oil, an external source, and everything went on right until the running low appeared at the midnight hour. All of them ran low. The wise virgins and the foolish virgins Their lamps rained low at the midnight hour, and they all trimmed their lamps. They were all drowsy. They all became sleepy and slept. But the only thing that mattered was one. When they woke up, the response. The response of the foolish virgins and the response of the wise virgins. The wise virgins had an external source, and that's why the Lord is saying, that the process that brings the remnant bride of Christ into the wedding of the Lamb does not come from self-effort. Because we see that the foolish virgins, not being available as a vessel to be infilled, lacking the external extraneous source of support of the Holy Spirit, they were not able to prepare to be radiant and holy unto the Lord. But the wise virgins, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, were then able to be radiant enough prepared by the holy spirit remember he is the same holy spirit that has prepared the wedding rings that has also shown me the clock that is one minute to midnight in the sky so he is involved he is central in this preparation and so it is only he that has authority enough to prepare the church to be radiant and spotless remember spotless and if this word spotless is written in the bible she surely will be spotless And so the response is what matters here. The Lord, in other words, is saying that all will fail. All have run short of the glory of the Lord. But what matters, those that will be available to the Holy Spirit. This teaching essentially places the Holy Spirit at the center of the rapture of the church. Because it's telling the church to detour, to change direction and start emphasizing on the infilling and on the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And what matters, the response. And you see very clearly that at the midnight hour, the Holy Spirit becomes the midnight oil that the bride of Christ is able to burn and make it through and go right all the way into the wedding of the Lamb of God. But let's look at the lamp before we move on, so we may understand even better. Now, the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 27, this is what the Bible says. What did the lamp symbolize? What was the importance of the lamp? Well, I know we've touched it here and there, but I want even to look at it a little bit more. Proverbs twenty 27. Let's look at the lamp. What did the lamp symbolize? Hallelujah. It says, The lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. It searches out his innermost being. So you begin to understand very clearly that the lamp that the Lord caused the ten virgins to carry was very critical because that lamp, like the Bible has said, your eye is the lamp of your body. It's a mirror of what's happening inside. Through the lamp that they were carrying, they were able to emit that which is in their hearts. No wonder I said you can take a synonym like the fibers of the heart that have been crucified could be the wick of the lamp. So you see that the lamp essentially here implies the reflection of the walk with Christ that the church is having. And so this lays a burden on the church, a responsibility on the church that wants to be the bride of Christ, because that lamp should emit out the gifts of the Spirit. That if you are infilled with the Holy Spirit, then the gifts of the Spirit will come out, and the men that are perishing, the people that are in the darkness will see that. And the Lord speaks very clearly here, that every single person has an anointing that was given to them, the basic anointing that I've talked about. But it was the original plan of the Lord that only the Holy Spirit light up each person's lamp. Hallelujah. And that's why that lamp becomes very critical in the Christian walk, that only the Holy Spirit light up your lamp. And now I'm bringing you to a higher level, where you will begin to understand that there can be counterfeit lamps. The book of Psalms 119, verse 105, Psalms 119, 105, will help us understand this. The lamp is supposed to guide you and help you, and also to reflect the life of Christ that is in you. What is that lamp? Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So you surely see that when all the virgins stepped out to go wait on the Lord, the lamp was essentially supposed to give them light so they don't stumble and knock the rocks, hit their feet on the rocks, so they may walk the walk. In the rightful way, even as ordained by the Lord in this calling. It's very important to understand that the lamp would also lead them into living the word of the Lord. So, the light of the Lord that the wise virgins had emanated from the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, let me bring you to another level. The lamp that the foolish virgins had emanated from the word of the Lord also. You see that? But the only difference is that the wise virgins fulfilled Proverbs chapter one verse seven. That's the only difference between the two. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. And he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So you can see what the foolish virgins did. They were called foolish because they despised the wisdom and the discipline that is instituted and ordained by the word. So if you were to redefine the wise virgins, that was the church, the remnant church that lived under the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom. No wonder they were called wise. Essentially, that means the lamp that we're carrying was emitting out the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. And their lives were characterized by the fear of the Lord. There are people who won't receive the Lord. Just repeat this prayer. Say, precious Jesus, I surrender to you today and repent of all sin and give you my life and ask you to come into my life and establish your word in my life. Precious Jesus, I have heard about your coming and I ask you today, When you come for the church, please remember me in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.